All that important stuff done, uh, let's turn in our copies of God's Word to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 1. And while you find that, I'll tell you that we are starting a new uh, study today. Um, We will be teaching through the book of Hebrews starting in chapter 1, verse 1. And uh, we start in this way. This is God's Word. By the way, Paul, is there some way to uh, adjust the lights so they're not going disco? Didn't really notice until I looked at my words here. Here we go. This is God's Word. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And we'll stop there and let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, folks, I have for many years said something like uh, this, something like, uh, when I'm a grown-up one day, I'll teach you the book of Hebrews. Um. And I want you to know that in no way do I somehow feel like I'm a grown-up or that I'm suddenly equipped to, uh, to uh, explore the book of Hebrews. I want that to be clear on the outside. I don't, I don't feel ready uh, or anything like that. It's just something that God has put on my heart. I've considered it for a long time, and, and so here we are. But I suspect that I approach, have been approaching the book of Hebrews like many Christians have. Um, you've heard preachers probably take you to the book of Hebrews and talk about this uh, mysterious guy named Melchizedek. You probably heard a sermon on Melchizedek at some point in your life, your Christian walk. Or you've had a preacher take you to the book of Hebrews and talk about Jesus as the author and perfecter of your faith. That's familiar to you. You go, oh yeah, I've been in Hebrews for that. Or you may have had a preacher take you to chapter 11 of Hebrews, where it's the so-called Hall of Fame of Faith. And they may even have even done a long series on the Hall of Fame of Faith in the book of Hebrews. You might have had that. But at the same time, you know, you've got these, these elements that are familiar to you. But at the same time, this book has been written so nobly. And um, it, 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 uh, it has such a dependence uh, on and reference to the Old Testament that it can seem a little overwhelming. Um, uh, and maybe even a little intimidating. So I want to start by saying this. What has continually drawn me uh, to teach through this book, and I, you know, I, we've, in the last couple series, Hebrews has been in the running. Um, what's really drawn me to it, it also happens to be the point of the whole thing, which is the supremacy of Jesus Christ. That's what just magnetically has pulled me to this book, is the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And when I say the supremacy of Jesus Christ, I don't mean simply that he's super awesome and amazing. He is that. But by the supremacy of Jesus Christ, practically speaking, practically speaking, um, it is that every groaning everywhere on earth and every question that begs to be answered and every act that longs to see justice And every tsunami of the frightened soul is part of pining and longing for and searching for this one thing, which is the supremacy and sufficiency of the exalted Christ. That's what you're looking for. Christ 
is who you're searching for. In every respect, every answer you're looking for, Christ is supreme. That's what this book is about. And by the way, I know it's going to go on to talk about his supremacy over angels and Moses and Melchizedek and the priestly sacrifices and so on. But practically speaking, what I'm saying to you is the reason it means so much to you is what you're looking for is a who. You're looking for Christ and him exalted. All right? So if you want to know what the big idea here is today, it's very easy. It is this. The word of God has spoken. Now let's go to our first point, which is the diverse and preparatory word. Look at verse 1. It says, long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke. Now I want to stop there. And uh, I I want you to know, too, that I realize I just stopped mid-sentence, and uh, it goes on to say, uh, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. That's a big point. You know, there's a a Jewish listening audience, and there's a manner in which God has uh, has spoken and so on. But I just, I think it, it... doesn't uh, disrupt the point or detract from the point. Rather, I think, it's, I think it's built into it that God speaks at all, friends. Um, that, that we take for granted that God speaks is one of the most flagrant arrogances of the fallen heart. You know, ever since we were little kids and, you know, standing on the, at the edge of the pool at, at six years old going, look at me, when we dive in the pool. You know, we just expect that we speak and we do and people listen and respond. We just expect that. And we import that up, uh, on, upon God. We just expect that we say something and God, oh, yes, I'm at the ready. Uh, what can I do to help you? That's an arrogance, friends. We expect that God just hears us. But I got a question for you. How do you know anything? How do you know anything at all? And you say, well, uh, my observations of this world. Of course, I observe this world. Okay, well, where, where did your powers of observation come from? Well, well, well uh, the, the, the cosmos, uh, <clears throat> the cosmos. Well, yes, yes, the cosmos. Yeah, I, I get it. I get it. You're, you live in the cosmos. Um, and you're a thinking, rational being. I understand that. But where did the cosmos come from? <laughs> that's the question, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's the question. Where did everything come from? Why can you observe and reason? Where did these powers come from? That, that's the precise question I'm asking. You know, science and Christianity are not at odds with each other. One of the things we Christians love about our God, about his very nature, is that he's omniscient. He's omni-science. He's the God of science. He owns it all. He knows it all. He made it all. He's the God of science. So again, I ask you, how do you know anything at all? The answer is, God spoke. That's how you know. God spoke a world into existence. God speaks and things happen. God speaks and he reveals and shares himself. The only reason we exist, the only reason we know anything at all, the only reason we have any powers of observation is that God decided to share and reveal himself. That's the only way. Now, again, you look at verse 1. It says, long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Now, there's an Israelite ear for you, right? He spoke to our father, okay? So the, the, the writer is a, is a Hebrew, uh, and he's writing to Hebrews. He spoke to our father by the prophets. Now, listen, uh, that's true. 
Uh, God spoke by the prophets, but before he spoke by the prophets, he was still speaking. And I would like to turn your attention to Psalm 19. Turn, uh, if you would, to Psalm 19. And while you find that, I remind you again that this does not go against the point. I'm not trying to force my uh, agenda into the text. I think this is built into the text, that God is communicative uh, and declarative, um, that he shares himself. Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. Now, some of your translations have um, an even more unusual wording. It's, it's, it comes off like something like, um, uh, I think the NIV has something like, uh, there are no words. These, there's, there are these things out there that have been made, and they, not, nobody says anything. Uh, and the next thing, it, it goes around and says, yeah, but they're talking anyway. That really is the idea. All these things that have been put around us, they speak, they speak, they speak. It's not that just they're pretty in the sky, but they're communicating something about their maker. Speaking of whom, turn, if you would, to Romans 1. This will likely be familiar to a lot of you. Um, uh, Romans 1, verse 18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And here it is, verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So you get that? Everything that God has made cries out, cries out for its maker, is, is an example that God has divine power, and it's hidden from no one. You either accept it or you suppress the truth. And so the point is, again, that God shares not only certain things about himself, but without flinching, ladies and gentlemen, I say that God shares everything that can be known. You only know what God has made available to you. So rather than go, again, beyond the point of verse 1, I think it's built into verse 1. It's a given. So look at it once again, verse 1 of Hebrews Chapter 1, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. God spoke. All right, application for your life on this first point. God is the source of absolutely everything. And uh, you either understand it correctly or you've got it terribly wrong. Um, And you might be thinking, well, but how how does that show up in my life practically speaking, you know, okay, so yes, okay, yay, God created everything. The only things that I know are what God has revealed to me. Great. But how does that help me in my Christian life in this hard world right now? How? Well, I'll tell you how. You may be thinking when you come to a situation, you go, well, I have assessed my career path. Or you might think, I have assessed how I should parent. Oh, I have assessed how I should love a spouse. I have assessed how I should use my time and money. I have, I've assessed. 
I've assessed whose body I'm living in and what I'm supposed to do with it. No one's going to tell me to do what to do with my body. I have assessed what to do with my body. Or you might be thinking, well, I've assessed the problem in front of me. I've made an assessment. Or you might be thinking, I've, I've assessed the, the deepest longings of my heart. I've assessed where I come from. I assessed uh, how I will spend this life and whatever's beyond this life. You've assessed, ladies and gentlemen. See, that's what we do in life. We go, well, uh, I've assessed this, so uh, I will proceed thusly. Let me give you an illustration. About uh, once or twice a year, someone will call me up at the church and they'll say, Jim, I got a guitar. And uh, it hadn't been played in about 15 years. And I was wondering if I could come up to the church and have you tune it for me. And listen, I'm glad to do that. I'm very glad to tune a guitar. For, I even enjoy it. I even like tuning a guitar. And I, I hand it back. Ring, ring, ring. Hey, it's all tuned up. Here you go. You know what the problem is? It's out of tune by the time you get it home. In fact, it's probably out of tune by the time you get it to your car. Because you've left the coldest office in the church, which, which is mine, and then you've gone out in the Memphis humidity, and then it's in your car, and you're starting it up, and the car's cooling down, and you take it in your house. I mean, all the, the humidity, the temperature change, it's already out of tune. And you know, on a Sunday morning, everybody tunes before rehearsal. Everybody tunes before the first service. Everybody tunes before the second service. I mean, you, no professional would ever dream of strumming a note without getting a, a tune. And we tune as we go to in the middle of rehearsal and all that stuff. Ladies and gentlemen, A, the note A, is 440 vibrations per second. That's what an A is by today's modern standard. That's what an A is. And so my point is, it's not just going bing, boing, bing, boing. Hey, it's all in tune within itself. Not with the band, it ain't. <laughs> Unless it's A440. And what I'm saying to you, ladies and gentlemen, is the God of the book has spoken. I have assessed blah, blah. This is what's in tune. Not what you've assessed. Not how you've assembled it. Not how you're managing it. This is what is truth. This is, the, this is the, the key upon which all things are tuned. God has spoken. What God says is reality. It doesn't matter how you think or feel. Uh, it is whether or not you align with the God who speaks. All right, let's look at our second point. The invasive and promised word. All right, so verse 1 again. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. I'm going to stop there. That tells us much about the receiving audience, right, and the writer. God spoke to our fathers, so this is an Israelite writing to Israelites, by the prophets. They all, that's, that's, that's the terminology that they understand. And it also sets the stage for the exposition in the pages to come, I will say. If you have a King James Version, you know, on the top of your Bible here, it'll say, this says the letter to the Hebrews. I want you to know that this is not inspired scripture right here. Okay, these are just added. The letter to the Hebrews, uh, this, what is the letter of Paul to Philemon. All right, but you've got, if you've got a King James Version, you, you may or may not have something that says the epistle of Paul, the apostle to the Hebrews. You may have that. You might not have that. What, I, what I'm here to tell you, though, is probably not the apostle Paul. <laughs> um, 
that would certainly account for the hour in our fathers. But the early church in uh, Egypt and the East uh, thought it was Paul. In the West, they didn't think it was Paul. And uh, very few modern scholars think it was the Apostle Paul. Um, there's some things that sound kind of Pauline and, and so on. Um, but uh, there, there's, a, there's a huge problem, I believe. In all of Paul's epistles, you know, it's a letter to be distributed, right? In, in Paul's epistles, he makes a big point about identifying himself. And he'll even write something in his own hand. So it's not a forgery. This is me, Paul. This is, I've done it. It's not a forgery. You can trust it. And Paul always cites his apostolic authority. He's always saying, hey, 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 I've been summoned by Jesus Christ personally. I'm an apostle. You can listen to me. You can know that I'm the messenger that God has sent. Uh, This doesn't happen in the book of Hebrews. It's a mystery as to who the author uh, did. Uh, Paul does backflips to establish that he received revelation directly from Jesus Christ. And yet, in chapter 2, verse 3 of Hebrews, it says... um, uh, How should we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. Well, that's not how Paul talks. He says, it was revealed to me by the Lord Jesus. So I don't think it's the Apostle Paul. So so in short, no one knows the authorship of the book of Hebrews. But it would have had to have been somebody who was closely associated with an apostle and very likely associated with Paul. Maybe it was Apollos. Maybe it was Barnabas. Something, something it was uh, a couple others. But um, anyway, a second thing we can learn from this Our Fathers thing is that it's a Jewish first-hearing audience. All right? So um, these are real people receiving a real message in real time over a real circumstance and um, it's a Jewish hearing audience. Now, remember our main idea here today, the word of God has spoken. Um, that is, Jesus has supremacy over all the other messengers who have carried the word. You know, and, and long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Yeah, uh, the, the word of God was carried and um, the life and understanding in and, and the presence of the people, it's, it's very hard for us to grasp what it would have been like for these original hearers, friends. I mean, we, we know that we're persecuted in some ways in this nation. Uh, people think we're idiots. We look like bumbling red state morons, and uh, we were made fun of in, the, in movies. And, um, you know, you introduce yourself as a Christian pastor. Uh, not that you do that, but I do. And uh, people are like, you know, they're not impressed at all. I'm a Christian pastor. Really? It's like an insurance salesman. No offense. But, I mean, <laughs> it's, 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 not, it's, not, it's not happy. But uh, what these guys were going through, you think about it. They were Jews by birth, and the early church Christians were Jewish converts, Jewish, Jewish Christians, and they faced challenges and prejudices against them by their own people and by their, their involvement in the religious establishment and so on. If you flip ahead to chapter 10, um, listen to this description. This is, this is the world they were living in, friends. The writer of Hebrews says, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened to the truth of the gospel, you endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, 
since you knew that you, you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, don't throw away your confidence. But now think about that, man. Kicking in your door, taking your stuff, persecution, tearing families asunder, Saul of Tarsus, Nero. I mean, these people, these people face really scary things. And uh, there was a real kind of cut-offness. Um, notice my, my, the, the wording of my point there, the invasive and promised word. Uh, I've chosen those words real carefully, that God broke into human history and then bases things um, on a promise. He, he comes into human history with an intent to save, and he does so by making a promise and having that promise believed. Um, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So that is justification by grace through faith. Now, what follows is then God setting up a nation. He sets up a nation of uh, nation Israel. It's got her, her, she's got her own civil law. She's a nation. We have a civil law in the United States. Israel had a civil law, just as we have. Uh, Israel's was a nationalized faith. We don't have a nationalized faith, but Israel did. And so they had ceremonial laws, too. They had civil laws like we do in America. They had ceremonial laws that, that uh, governed how they would worship. And, of course, they had God's moral law, which is unchanging, which is summarized in the Ten Commandments. But all that to say, I don't want to befuddle you. What I want to say to you is this. Jesus is the Passover lamb. That's what these people believed. That's what these Jewish people believed. They went, oh, Jesus is the Passover lamb. Passover was supposed to point us to this Jesus. That's what they believed. And they believed, oh, Jesus is the lion who is really a lamb. And they believed Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, as he so clearly stated in Mark 2. Jesus was the defense attorney. Jesus was the fall guy. Jesus was the guy who was punished for a crime he didn't commit. That's what these Israelite people are thinking. And uh, let me just flip to a passage here in uh, Isaiah. You don't have to turn. I'm already there. Um, listen to this. The Lord, the Lord saw it, the Yahweh. The Lord God saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered uh, that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought salvation and his righteousness upheld him. And it goes on to say this. And a redeemer will come to Zion. To those in Jacob who turn from, the, from transgression declares the Lord. Gosh, ladies and gentlemen. That, that refers to Jesus Christ. Jesus is the guy, and these early Christians realized, oh, man, the whole Old Testament points to this Jesus Christ. That's what the early church is thinking. The whole Old Testament points to Jesus Christ, which is the point of the whole opening line of of the book of Hebrews. Now, to apply all that, let's move to our last point. So go back to the book of Hebrews. And let's apply all that together. The, The last point here is this, the living and perfect word. And listen, we'll be spending lots of time on this um, in the months to come, but let's note two important things. When it says, long ago at many times in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophet, prophets, but in these last days he's spoken to us by his son. These last days, you know what that means? 
It basically means, you know, it's some kind of time period, right? These last days. What are these last days? The short answer is it's the Christian era. It's the era that's been ushered in by Jesus Christ. It's the kingdom that's been inaugurated by Jesus Christ. Uh, It's the period during which the church carries out the Great Commission, sent by Jesus Christ in the power of the Spirit. These last days, um, and most importantly, is the age in which the revelation is made complete. In the past, God spoke in many ways, many times through the prophets, but now everything's different because the Son has come and revelation ceases uh, with the coming of the Son and the speaking through uh, his, uh, his apostles, his messengers. And so if you ever hear a preacher go, beep, 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 this just in, I got me a revelation, got me a revelation, and we got this, and we got me, they're both on par. If you ever hear that, get out and never listen to that guy ever again because Jesus has come. In the past, God spoke through the prophets, but Christ has come. He's the final word. Guess what else he is? He's the living word. That's why he's called the living word. All right, so he's spoken to us by his son. If Jesus really was the word who was with God and was God, then the poor, huddled, persecuted recipients of the book of Hebrews would have been able to take great courage and comfort in knowing that the living son, Jesus, in whom they believed, was in no way defeated, but is living and ruling and dynamically reigning. Um, And he is the personal um, manifestation of the fiat of Yahweh. The word of God has spoken. Much more on this in the weeks to come. But to to wrap it up, uh, let me say this. You know, in Man Cake... Uh, on Wednesday morning. If you don't know what man cake is, it's this men's breakfast, and we talk about a book. And in man cake, it was, uh, in fact, I was sitting right here, and uh, the tables were right out here, and um, it was just really cool. uh, There was a, this book is excellent that we're reading, and, but a couple people had taken issue with the way the author had stated something, and he was saying, blah, 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 God's passivity, when we, uh, how we interpret God's passivity, blah, 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 blah. And uh, two or three different people were like, I don't like that word. I wish there were, I wish there were, I would have chosen some different word. And listen, to the author's credit, what he really meant was, I believe, he meant when we perceive God as being passive, here's what's really happening. God's not passive. He's not just letting things unfold. But we can perceive it that way. We can say, hey, how long, God? How long? Why? You know, that's why we cry those things out. We perceive that there's no movement happening, okay? But my point is that there were three guys out there, and maybe more, myself included, who just felt a little ugh, icky about the, the, the way that was presented, the, the passivity of God. We go, oh, wait, 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 wait. Is that really, is that really how we ought to say that? There ought to be a heightened sensitivity. I think, friends, that that's a sign of health. I think when, when people come and they hear some speaker and he's up there going, nah, 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 and they go, oh, oh, whatever he says, whatever he says is fine. I think that's a sign of ill health. I think you ought to be questioning. I think you ought to be hearing what a guy says and go, okay, that, that's that good, it might be true, but man, just 
Question everything. Measure everything against the truth in this book. Everything. We should have a heightened sensitivity. If we're going to err, we ought to err on the side of going, huh, wait a second, wait a second. I got I to look that up later. I got to do a little bit of, you know, don't call me right away, by the way. Go do a little research before you do it. But, uh, uh, but I think there ought to be a, a heightened sensitivity. Um, we, ought, we ought to say, hey, wait a second, what's going on? Um, hath God truly said? And you know, the enemy's oldest and first tactic was to come to, to men and women and say, hath God really said? I mean, has God really said such and such? And our response should be, oh yeah? Well, let's see. Let, let's double check what's happening in my life and the way I'm thinking and feeling and the things that are being imposed upon me, uh, temptation that's being imposed upon me, let's see what God really said. That's why heresy has been allowed in the church over the years. Why does God allow heresy to creep in and affect large periods of, of Christendom? Why? Because it drives people back to God's word. It makes people go, hey, wait a second, Osteen's wife, is that really true? Because i got to look at it in God's Word, because this is, this is A440. Forget your hunches, ladies and gentlemen. Forget your citadels of self-help. Forget your glossy celebrity theologian that you just you listen to everything a person says. Forget that. You know, I, I'm straying a little bit, but somebody gave me a book, bought me a book, um, you know, like, three months ago or so, maybe longer. And uh, they, they said, I got this book and I really want you to read it. I'm like, yay, how exciting. I'll sit right down and get to it, you know. I got this book, I want you to read it. And I'm like, oh, well, thank you for the gift. Thank you very much. And they said, the next thing was, I read it four times. And I was like, because you're probably cuckoo. <laughs> you read it four times? That's, 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 that's celebrity theologian. Uh, forget celebrity theologian. Uh, forget your favorite musical infatuation of the latest generation. Ladies and gentlemen, the word of God has spoken. Listen to him. Righteous Father, we praise you and our amazed that you would have cared about a humanity, that you would have made us in the first place, but then you would have loved us and not let us go, that this tiny little speck in the middle of a, an enormous cosmos is of interest to you, and, and little tiny little specks on top of that speck were paid for by the blood of the Lamb. What a mystery is grace. And... Um, we just pray, Lord, that you would rattle our souls as we move ahead, that we would be amazed afresh that you're a God who speaks it all, but that you have spoken to us um, by the word of your own Son, in whose name we pray, amen. Thanks, everybody. Come on back. Hey, hey.